0: Look man, best ball is cool, redraft is cool, but there's just nothing like it. NFL DFS, the feeling of spending all week grinding, doing research, projections, contemplating theory, you know, consuming podcast content, creating podcasts and content, articles, conversations with your peers, speculation, finding the edge, Right, feeling like at 1259 when rosters are about to lock that you have the best lineups in the lobby, you're the most prepared, you did the work. And then some scrub like KJ Hamler catches an 80 yard touchdown and all your teams are dead immediately. There's nothing <laughs> like it. The thrill of NFL DFS. I can't wait. And we're back, baby.
1: Yeah, you know you just do all that work and Raheem Mostert runs for an 80 yard touchdown against the Jets last year, Week One, and your just hopes and dreams of banking the millie maker are just dead. Chalked. So. That, that's nfl dfs for you but i love it love gambling obviously you know you got to be a stone degenerate to grind best ball how we did you know put a bunch of money into that play in some hundred dollar redraft leagues like both of us do and then spend hundreds of dollars on dfs every single week you know it, it, it's a grind but football's finally back which is what i'm excited for this is the last day the eighth of no football for the next what four months five months so that's fucking lit and you know time to win big on DraftKings this year i mean we've been doing this podcast for a couple years now and you know you've won some tournaments i haven't won any but i think this is definitely the season and the time to uh bink a large tournament and get our names out there and and show the world what we could do
0: show the world all right i feel you man without any further ado let's get into week one of the nfl What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 160 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are back. We're talking real life week one NFL DFS main slate action. The best form of fantasy football is back, and we're going to be breaking things down from a DraftKings perspective today, talking about slate specifics, what the Vegas Lions are telling us about this week, we'll talk some chalk, and of course, leverage, stacks, and long shots, everything you need to know to have a real solid chance at banking a tournament this week. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. You can find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Saturdays. We post DFS TikToks every single day of the NFL season. And finally, our Discord channel is open and available to join. The link to do so is in the description to this podcast. Joey, before we get into everything, I just want to start off by talking about how Week 1 is different from a normal slate and you know maybe how you approach it in a different way if at all
1: yeah so week one the salaries are just so loose because obviously DraftKings puts out the salaries a month before the season actually starts and then players obviously get hurt Guys rise up the depth chart, et cetera, et cetera. So, there's a lot of mispricing for these prices this week. And I don't want to say like really affects my approach to the slate because, you know, I'm, I'm still going into this with, you know, my process that I have and trying to find the best value plays and what makes sense for cash games and tournaments specifically. But I, I do know, and, and I think everybody should understand that this week, there's just going to be a lot of variance because there's going to be a lot of players in play. Uh, we're going to talk about it here in a second but there's a lot of projected shootouts so there there's just so many good plays man which increases the variance and and people are just going to run wild with their lineups especially in in the big lottery tournaments like the million player field millimaker people are just going to run wild shit and you know you just got to prepare for that so I don't want to say it's really affecting my approach, but you definitely have to take into consideration, you know, how soft the prices are. There's going to be a lot of new users for week 1 how there always is every year.
0: Yeah, uh, for me specifically, I think that I shift a lot more towards tournaments. I think in general I'm going to be doing that this season uh, as a whole, but even more so in week 1 just to sort of put yourself in position to capitalize off the variance and just hammer the unknown, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what that's what we have. A lot of the projections are going to be more inefficient now than they will be three weeks from now after we have more solid information on how these teams are going to be running. A lot of what the projections are going to be based on this week specifically are correlated to the production of last season. And I think that, you know, as we get more information, projections will be better and better every single week. But right now, more so than ever, I'm going to just be throwing out projections entirely and and focusing on just how to get different, how to differentiate yourself and capitalize on the unknown.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's a great strategy, especially for week one. And like you mentioned about playing more tournaments, I think I'm going to do the same as well for week one. Just everything that you said makes so much sense to me and just in general in terms of uh, DFS theory especially for week one because all of this is based on last year but we know in the NFL things change year over year you know what worked last year isn't going to work this year and that goes for like defenses as well a great passing defense last year might not be good this year and and we just don't know that in week one so you got to capitalize on that play thoughtful lineups and I think you'll be in a good position to win
0: Yep. And the last note I want to make about how I play week one differently compared to, you know, quote unquote, normal slates is because of, you know, how inefficient the pricing is and how many good plays there actually are. I spread out my exposure across more lineups Mm. than I normally do. You know, typically I'm a, you know, the type of DFS player. I play one cash lineup. I play 10 to 15 GPP lineups. I think I'll be playing closer to you know 20 or 30 gpp lineups maybe spreading them across smaller buy-ins but just trying to get exposure to the quantity of good plays that there are on this slate
1: yeah i think i'm gonna do the same as well uh just because there there are so many good plays bro and you know we'll we'll get into it here in a bit
0: Yeah, let's do that. But we're going to start off with some slate specifics, seeing what Vegas is telling us about this slate. Specifically on DraftKings, this is a 13-game main slate with nine games early and four games in the afternoon. There are four games with totals of 50 or above and the top five implied team totals in order. We have the Kansas City Chiefs with 30 and a quarter, Tennessee 27 and a half, Buffalo 27 and a half, Green Bay 27 and tied for fifth. We had Seattle and San Francisco at 26 and a quarter. Joey, what stands out to you on the slate from a Vegas perspective?
1: Yeah, I think what stands out to me is what I mentioned before is that there's a lot of projected shootouts for week one with Mm -hmm. only four games on the main slate having a total below 45 points. So we're going to see a lot of high scoring games. We're going to see a lot of good offenses going up against Terrible defenses, and I think that correlates with what I'm seeing on DraftKings for this week because there are so many good players in phenomenal matchups that are either underpriced or slightly mispriced. So it should be an interesting week one. Um, I'm expecting a lot of scoring as you know the NFL in 2021 favors offense tremendously. So I, I think we I think we'll see a lot of uh, shootouts in week one.
0: Yep, and and I also think that I mean the first thing that stood out to me was. Against- Game that I was expecting to have one of the top three totals is not in the in that realm at all and that's the Falcons and Eagles game we'll talk about that at length I think a lot of our favorite plays are in this game but that having a 48 total just stands out like crazy to me I think that Vegas is really underestimating both of these offenses and potentially the lackluster quality of both of these defenses and, and how that can materialize this week
1: yeah I, th- I think they definitely are you know underestimating both of these squads uh but but i think what factors into the total for that game is i i think they believe the falcons and eagles are going to be bad on offense as well as bad on defense i mean it makes sense i mean i i like the over in that game we'll talk about that later but that that game definitely has a lot of guys that we're gonna play in, in dfs this week and i might go broke on them to be honest so <laughs>
0: yeah I, i'm i'm right there with you man let let's uh let let's talk some chalk here and and i mean i'm sure that most of our listeners are familiar but chalk in dfs refers to the players that are going to be the highest owned on the slate you know they're going to be right in the lineups at a really high percentage and at running back this week i think lineups are going to be dominated with the three guys at the top christian mccaffrey dalvin cook and alvin Kamara. people are going to be jamming these guys into their lineups this week
1: yeah week one is definitely a team jam in week uh we have christian McCaffrey at 9,500, who is the most expensive player on DraftKings. And then we have Delvin Cook right under him at 9,100 on the road against Cincinnati. And then we have Kamara as the fourth highest priced running back at 8,600 at home. Technically not at home. They're playing in Jacksonville, but they're playing Green Bay. And I definitely think these three running backs are going to be the chalk for sure. I, I think CMC will probably be the highest owned guy just because we know what cmc brings to the table in terms of receiving ability you know he averaged 5.7 receptions in his three games last year and this is a guy that's going to get targeted heavily in the receiving game and he's going to get run on the ground as well he averaged 19.7 rushing attempts per game in his three games last season. So I think CMC is clear cut the best play on the board this week at home against the Jets. And then Delvin Cook and Kamara, we know what those two guys bring to the table. Both workhorses, both relatively Cheap for their roles, honestly. Like these three guys could be 99, 10K players on DraftKings, especially in full PPR. So these guys are definitely the chalk.
0: And considering that Alvin Kamara is the cheapest of the group here, 8,600 compared to the other two who are both over 9K, Kamara to me just stands out as an otherworldly play. We know what he has done historically without Michael Thomas in the lineup.
1: Yeah, Alvin Kamara over the last two seasons without. Michael Thomas in the lineup, uh, which is a total of eight games, has averaged 30.89 PPR points per game, seven receptions per game, 8.62 targets per game for 70 receiving yards per game. Just so good without Michael Thomas in the lineup, who we know is going to be out for the first six weeks of the NFL season. So I think Kamara 8,600 is the best running back play on the board. Projections Mm -hmm. right now make it seem like he's going to be the third highest owned running back behind cmc and cook and if that's the case i'll probably be overweight on camara especially in tournaments i just think it's a great spot as the workhorse running back in new orleans we got james winston starting who i think gives camara the upside that we want rather than Taysom hill so god i mean how do you not play camara in every single lineup dude like like that's I, that's, so what, I'm, that's what i'm that's what i'm asking myself like can i fade elvin camara If he's going to be the third highest owned running back in this spot.
0: I don't think you can. And, you know, I I put little to no stock in projected DVP matchups, you know, a defense first position at this point in the year, because like we mentioned at the beginning, it's going to be shifting so heavily and we don't really know. But Green Bay was an atrocious run defense last year. Uh, I I don't know what they've done to make us think that they're going to be much better. Nothing. This is that's that's the
1: answer. Nothing. Sorry to cut you off.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And this is a game with a total above 50. Alvin Kamara is going to have the biggest target share of any player on the Saints despite being a running back. And I, I just, if he is really the lowest owned of these three, he's going to be my highest owned running back in, in lineups this week. I can't wait to jam Kamara in.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you on Kamara. But other than those three top guys, I think there are some running backs that could potentially end up being chalk lower in the player pool. And one of those guys is Joe Mixon, who is is sixty. 200 at home against the vikings obviously geo bernard is in tampa bay now so joe mixon figures to have a three down roll for the Bengals offense that should be one of you know the more pass heavy offenses in the nfl obviously there are some concerns with the offensive line and, and the efficiency with the Bengals offense in general but I think Joe Mixon is is a guy that could see 20, 23 rushing attempts and five to six targets this week. God, I, I mean, I hate Joe Mixon, I really do. You'll, you you won't meet a, a bigger Joe Mixon hater than me. But this price for his presumed workload makes him like one of the best plays at the running back position
0: it does in theory and projections are gonna are gonna match that thought but just from a lineup construction standpoint there's a lot of negative correlation in playing two running backs in the same game and i i would much much rather lean dalvin cook between the two i I, there are running back values that i prefer to joe mixon i could easily see the Bengals starting the year very slowly i could see them getting completely washed in this game and joe Mixon. Being a massive disappointment to the, to the people that roster him on DraftKings, Mixon to me is bad chalk, and and I feel very comfortable pivoting, especially if the ownership is significant to guys in that range like Najee Harris, uh, James Robinson, even a little lower, Chris Carson, Antonio Gibson, Raheem Mostert. I, I have little to no interest in eating the Joe Mixon chalk personally
1: yeah I think I'm right there with you I, I know this is kind of early but the Vikings defense I think is one of the better GPP plays on the board just because they're getting Daniil Hunter back you know they, they have Michael Pierce near, now there too Delvin Tomlinson is back
0: Patrick Peterson
1: yeah, the, this Vikings defense should be better than what it was last year and people are gonna see the 24th next to Joe Mixon and, and think it's a good matchup but honestly I, I like the Vikings defense in the spot and I like fading joe mixon as well and i I think that is our first chalk fade of the year and there's going to be plenty more to come but you know that that's something that we did last year is you know we weren't afraid to fade you know the guys that were going to be chalk if we really had conviction about them and I, i think that's good process is fading joe mixon this week personally even though he's a touch monster projected i i don't care to play him at all
0: yeah there, there are a lot of outs to Joe Mixon failing. Transitioning to quarterback, I think that a lot of the ownership is going to consolidate at the top. Kyler Murray is, in my opinion, going to be the highest own. And Josh Allen will be right in that mix, too. The way that Allen projects uh, in terms of pass volume, in terms of you know passes down the field, explosive plays. It's going to be hard to get away from him, especially if you're looking at projections.
1: Yeah, I think these guys quarterbacks at the top are obviously good plays but i would disagree with you i don't think kyler murray is going to be the highest on quarterback i don't even think he's going to be top three personally i think josh allen will have some ownership just because of the passing volume and then Diggs is obviously a good play as well so people are going to stack them up but with Team in this week, how we just mentioned for the running backs, I don't think people are going to pay up at quarterback. I think this is a pay down at quarterback week. And I think the best option is Jalen Hurts, who I personally believe is going to be the highest owned quarterback. You know, you get the same ceiling and the same upside with Jalen Hurts as you do with Kyler Murray and Josh Allen at the top, but you're getting, you know, a thousand, a twelve hundred dollar discount. He was chalk last year when he started and went off for 40 points against Arizona. And that's the ceiling with Jalen Hurts, especially with his ability to run the football. You know, he averaged eleven and a half rushing attempts in his four starts last year for sixty eight rushing yards per game. So this is a guy with an extremely high four, an extremely high ceiling and he's sixty four hundred and I think everybody is going to pounce on that. So I respectfully disagree with your take that the guys mm-hmm. at the top are going to be chalk because I don't believe that
0: at all. And, and I know that we're on different pages with this, not in that Jalen Hurts is a bad play, because I think he's a phenomenal play. He's a great play. play. He's the best I, play on the board. I, I, yeah, I, I think that people are going to be skeptical of him. I think maybe it would be a different scenario if this was week 10, week 11, but with the highest percentage of casual players that we're probably going to have all year, as is always the case in week one, I think the general consensus is that Jalen Hurts isn't good. And I think a lot of casual players are going to lean away from Jalen Hurts, especially when you can play somebody like Ryan Tannehill for a hundred more. The Titans have the second highest implied team total on the slate. The Eagles have a very middling team total, twenty-two and a half. and a half. So I think people could shy away from him. People could shy away from him thinking he's just real life, not good. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of hype around this game up in particular, the Tennessee Titans and Cardinals game. I think both of those quarterbacks are going to carry a decent amount of ownership. And just with Tannehill being directly next uh, to Jalen Hurts in pricing, I think we'll shift a little bit of ownership away from him. We'll see how it plays out. I know both of us are going to have a lot of exposure to Hurts. Again, I don't think he's a bad play. I'm just not sure how many people are going to be ready to jump on Jalen Hurts right now.
1: I mean, that's a that's a fair point. But, you you know, we didn't know if he was good last year. And like I said, he was chalk in the games that he started just because he was underpriced. And for me, it's more so just the optimal roster construction and, and what these tout sites are, are going to spit out for their optimizers. And what they're going to spit out is play two top tier running backs in CMC and Cook or Camaro. So you're going to have to save money at a couple of spots. And I think quarterback in terms of optimizers is going to be one of the spots where the salary will be saved as well as wide receiver, which we'll get into in a bit. So that's why I think Jalen Hurts is going to be one of if not the highest owned quarterback in cash games obviously for tournaments you know he, he should carry decent ownership but maybe not the most and, and then I think there's some guys at the bottom too that project really well for cash games you know we have Sam Darnold who's 5,000 at home against the Jets who might have the worst secondary in the NFL at this point and he's got elite weapons to throw to you know people might go back to 2015 DFS and, and play Mac Jones at 4,400 who might get you 20 points and he's 4k you know he's he's 4.4k and i i think optimizers might spit him out too especially if you're if you're paying up so
0: yep and I, I think that that is again a factor in reducing hertz ownership because when you look at these optimizers in terms of just value in terms of points per dollar i think it is going to spit out players like Darnold. Um, I think it's gonna spit out a lot of Mac Jones and even Teddy Bridgewater's projecting as a phenomenal points per dollar play I personally have very little interest in that myself but at 4800 against an abysmal Giants team I think Teddy Bridgewater is gonna look like a phenomenal mm-hmm. play just from a projection standpoint in, in points per dollar so I think that just with all of that and with the low team total factoring into the Eagles I think I think we might be surprised at Jalen Hurts ownership and if that's the case it's gonna be a great week for us
1: yeah I mean I honestly like I hope he's- Low on, obviously right mm. like I, I want him to be loan so I could just pounce on you know what I what I think is a misprice for Jalen Hurts but I think tout sites are going to tout that Jalen Hurts is the best you know and everybody has a subscription to a Roto Grinders or to an ETR or Fantasy Labs or, or whatever and I think across the board from all these companies Jalen Hurts is going to be you know the guy that everybody touts. So you know I, I could see his ownership being hurt because of the cheap guys at the quarterback spot. But I don't know. It, it, I think I think it's just going to be hard for you to not play Jalen Hurts in cash, just for all of the stats that that I mentioned before. But you know, you might be right. I might be right. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. But I, th- I think we can move on to wide receiver here.
0: Yeah. Where do you see? ownership consolidating at the wide receiver position this week
1: what I, what i think will happen and you know I, i've said it a lot but it's just how the lineup construction will play out this week and i've mentioned team Jam in so many times and i hate repeating myself but you're gonna have to pay down somewhere and i and i think wide receiver is going to be the spot that people pay down at at least for two of the spots you know i don't i don't think playing three cheap wide receivers is good or even four if you want to get really frisky i i think one of the top guys is going to be chalk, maybe Stefan Diggs, maybe Kelvin Ridley. Maybe Tyreek Hill. I, I could see any one of those three having ownership, but but I think people are, are going to look down to 5K and below because we have great plays across the board. Corey Davis is 4,900. We have T. Higgins at 4,700, who I think will be chalk after getting a lot of steam throughout the offseason, especially in best ball. Um, Devontae Smith is 4,500. He, he's a good wide receiver to stack with Hurts. And, and then if we go lower under 4K, we have Zach Pascoe at 3,700, who's going to start without T.Y. Hilton there. Harris Campbell's 3,700, uh, same situation as Zach Pascal on the Colts. We have Jalen Waddle at 36, Marquez Callaway, who I think is going to be the highest owned wide receiver on DraftKings this week is 3,400. And then you have the three K guys in Elijah Moore and Terrace Marshall Jr., who I think, you know, some might galaxy brain them into, into their lineup. So I don't, I don't really have any guys that i think are stone chalk besides callaway yeah. i mean he's going to be stone chalk i don't care what anybody says but other than that there, i think ownership is going to be spread out between these cheap wide receivers.
0: Yeah, I I agree with your assessment there. I think ownership will be a lot more spread at wide receiver than the other positions, but Callaway should definitely be chalky. Um Very. Are, are you bullish on Callaway in week 1 because personally, I I don't know how high I'm going to be on Callaway.
1: I tweeted that if Callaway's chalk, I, I would fade him. And I I think that I, I still stand by that. I, obviously, 3400 is very cheap for a player of his target projection. But, you know, I, I just don't want to overrate a guy just because he had two good plays in the preseason against the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. You feel me? Like, yeah. is he actually a good wide receiver? Like, I, I, I'm fine with... L- losing to Marquez Callaway, like if he's actually good and he goes out there and snaps against the Packers and Jair Alexander this week, like I'm totally fine with that. But I, I want to see if he's actually, you know, a good NFL wide receiver because we just haven't seen that. And maybe that's, you know, me being a stone donkey and and fading Callaway, but I'm, I'm completely fine with not playing him.
0: Yeah. And especially just from a tournament perspective, if his ownership is significantly higher than some of these other guys, like he's the same price as Gabriel Davis or as josh reynolds who should have a key part in a stone shootout this week you know two hundred dollars more and you can get jalen waddle in in a week where the patriots are going to be without stefan gilmore and the dolphins are going to be without will fuller marvin jones is 3600 mvs you know, in that same game is 3,700 and is at least more proven as a deep threat. So I I don't know. I think that Callaway makes a lot of sense as a fade if, if ownership really consolidates around him. And the other wide receivers that I think are going to be carrying ownership, you mentioned a lot of them at the high end. I do think that it's going to be Tyreek Hill and Steph Diggs over... Calvin Ridley and Devonte Adams, and th- those could be opportunities to pivot, even Justin Jefferson and DK Metcalf in that range. But I think a lot of players are going to just, you know, hover in that mid 5k range. T Higgins, uh, Jerry Judy, Miko Hardman, maybe. I-, I don't know. I think that it's going to be relatively spread out at the wide receiver position.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree that it's going to be spread out with all of the players that we mentioned, just because there are a lot of good wider receiver plays at every Point in the salary. Up top, there's great plays. In the mid range, there's great plays. And at the bottom, there's great plays, you know? So it's going to be interesting to see the route people go. I don't think there is like one clear cut, optimal week one route just for everything that we talked about earlier in terms of, you know, not having a lot of information and things in the NFL change year over year. But one of these guys is going to go off, and I want that guy in my lineup, and it's probably a guy at the top. So I'm going I'm to try and fit, you know, a Kelvin Ridley Hill or Diggs into my cash lineup for sure, just because I want that combo of floor and ceiling that I think they provide in. And then probably pay down to two cheap wide receivers is the route that I would go in cash games.
0: Yep, I think that makes a lot of sense. Moving on to tight end, notoriously, I think that you and I are, you know, team pay down for tight end but i wouldn't be surprised to see a a lot of the ownership consolidate at the top end with travis kelsey and george kittle this week
1: yeah obviously we're not ever paying 8300 for a tight end like just absolutely not and you know travis kelsey could easily go off for for 40 points right like that's definitely within his range of outcomes but i'm fine betting against that especially when we have some cheap tight ends with good target projections and their red zone threats and specifically kyle pitts who's 4400 i think this is the cheapest price he will be all year so i want to capitalize on this opportunity to play a stone alpha in one of the most pass heavy offenses in the nfl you know he's six five or whatever runs a four four just an absolute freak athlete he's coming into basically the julio jones role and he's going to be a red zone threat for the falcons so kyle pitts at 4400 is a stone lock at tight end in in cash games for me i have no interest in playing travis kelsey george kittle is interesting in tournaments 6300 i think kittle will be more owned than Travis Kelsey, and I think Pitts will be more owned than both, personally. Mm -hmm. Um, I I expect Pitts to be the highest-owned tight end in in cash games, for sure. And and then I just want to throw out, if, if you are considering paying down, like, paying down down to to min price or, or somewhere around there i think the the two guys that stand out would be tyler conklin and tyler croft
0: interesting yeah at the low end the guys that have stood out to me are, are donald parham uh jr who is you know run a lot of first team reps in la uh, and i think more people are going to be on jared cook in that range at 3100 parham's a red zone threat and Anthony Ferkser, who people are skeptical of, uh, hasn't had the best preseason, but I think has a lot of chemistry with Tannehill and should theoretically step into the role that Jonu Smith left behind. And it is in a shootout game at thirty two hundred. You know, Ferkser catches a touchdown at thirty two hundred, and you're just absolutely sailing to the money.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I don't, I don't hate it. Obviously, if you need, if you need the salary, I'm all for paying down. But I'd rather just find the the twelve hundred to get up to. You know a Kyle Pitts, and and if you don't want to play Kyle Pitts, I mean Logan Thomas, who's going to be an every snap player, is forty six hundred, yeah. and then you have Johnu Smith, who's going to be an every down player for the Patriots, and should be top two on the team in targets, is forty one hundred, and then Zach Ertz at, at thirty eight hundred. I mean that's kind of disgusting, but I think he's going to be an eighty percent snap player for the Eagles, and it, it seems like that situation has calmed down a bit from you know the trade rumors and, and whatnot, so. I would rather just find the money to get up to one of those guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I feel you, and like I think Ertz makes decent sense as a leverage playoff of Kyle Pitts, but God, like if I can't find six hundred to get away from the decrepit corpse of Zach Ertz to get to this young well, <laughs> freak of nature in Kyle Pitts, then then I don't I don't know what we're even doing at this point.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously the the pricing is so loose that. You know, you don't have to play Zacherts. I I just wanted to throw it out there. Maybe if this was other weeks where where the where the salary was so tight and, and Zacherts was thirty eight hundred, he 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 would be a, a good a yeah. good pay down option. But yeah, just just get up to Kyle Pitts. That's what I have to tell everybody. Just 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 play yep. Kyle Pitts. That's all you have to do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that wholeheartedly, Joey. Let's get into our thoughts on tournament strategy for the week with leverage stacks and long shots. How do you plan to get leverage on the field this week?
1: Yeah, so I think the best way to get leverage on the field and I outlined this in my video if you want to check that out on our YouTube channel is flipping the build. Okay, we we know or we we assume that there's going to be one chalky build and that's going to be pay up for high-priced running backs, pay down at wide receiver. And pay down at quarterback. So, the way I would get leverage on the field in large field tournaments specifically is playing high priced wide receivers, you know, maybe paying down to one or two cheap pass catching running backs like Chase Edmonds, who I think is a phenomenal play this week at 4,600, should go under owned, in my opinion. And then you know, like we mentioned with the quarterbacks pay up to one at one of these guys, like a Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. I, I think that's how I plan to get leverage. I, I still think you have to play one of these top three running backs, like have to like necessity. I'm going to play one yes. in every single lineup, but you could definitely get away from playing two or playing three of these guys that are, are high priced.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I think that there are really two paths to getting good leverage on this slate. The first is in general lineup construction, and you just outline that. And, and I think the second is by taking stands against the public in particularly unknown situations when it gives you ownership leverage. And, and like what I mean by that is if Marvin Jones is highly chalky because of the price at thirty six hundred, then I'm going to find the money to get up to Lavisca Chanel. Right and other target situations that'll that'll be apparent as well. Michael Pittman is going to project to be the number one target, but like you said, you can pay down even lower and get great ownership leverage by playing Paris Campbell or Zach Pascal, who could easily lead Uh, in Colts wide receivers uh, for fantasy points in week one. And I think that there are a a myriad of situations like that. Like people are going to want to play DJ Moore for 6,100 in the Carolina Jets game. Robbie Anderson's $400 cheaper. And if you get an ownership discount, I'm going to be targeting that. And I just think that there are situations like this All over the board and people are very confident right now overly confident and how they think that these target shares are going to be distributed and just capitalizing on people's overconfidence is going to be a primary strategy that i implement this week
1: yeah i i think that's a pretty great strategy to be honest uh just goes back to what we were saying this is an unknown week right projections Mm -hmm. obviously aren't great right now because there isn't previous weeks of data uh, to, to use in projections. So we don't know how these target shares and how these, you know, unknown situations are, are going to play out. And if you're getting ownership discounts, like you mentioned, I mean, God, it's just, it's just wheels up for some of these guys, especially with Marquez Callaway. I, I want to bring that up again. We don't know if he's good. We don't know what his target share is going to be, but he's going to be the highest owned wide receiver on the slate. So why not just Go down to Terrace Marshall, take the four hundred dollar discount. Who might see more targets than Marquez Callaway this week? You know, period. You know, why why not go up to you know the two guys you mentioned, Campbell and Pascal, for three hundred more as two guys that should see targets for the Colts and and, and Gabe Davis, same price. You know, clear cut GPP uh-huh. pivot. I think from Callaway, especially if you're stacking up the bills, and 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 he's gonna be like one percent. So,
0: yeah. And, and ownership is going to consolidate. And we've said it a couple of times to maybe lean away from pro, uh, projections, but specifically we're talking about point projections. I think ownership projections are going to be very solid as they always mm-hmm. are. It's pretty much down to a science at this point, regardless of, you know, what site you use to get them. I think that the ownership, you know, projections are going to be very close to where they end up being. And, you know, if Stefan Diggs is say 20% owned and DK Metcalf is five percent owned, and they're a hundred dollars apart with very similar ceilings. Well, I'm just gonna go play DK Metcalf. You know, I'm just gonna be hammering these ownership leverage situations um, and, and making lineups that make sense uh, around that sort of situation.
1: And I think that you know we we've we've made it pretty clear on how you should be approaching your lineup this week, especially in t- in tournaments. Like it's so easy to get leverage and get different, but still put out an optimal lineup.
0: Yeah. God. Can't wait. All right, Joey, give me uh give me a stack that you like. what's one of your favorite stacks that you think could potentially separate from the field this week? Do
1: you want a low-owned stack?
0: Yeah, give me give me a low-owned. Okay. you know I don't need to, I don't need Mahomes to Tyreek. Everybody Yeah,
1: or, that. or like Kyler Murray to D hopper or, or whatever. All right. I'll 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 give you I'll give you a, a quarterback and two wide receivers, so a double stack and include my favorite long shot in there too. No, we're getting kind of ahead, but he he's my long shot. Trevor Lawrence to DJ Chark. And LaVisca Chennault is one of my favorite tournament double stacks on the board this week. All relatively cheap. Trevor Lawrence is 6,200, DJ Chark is 5,800, and LaVisca Chanel is 5K flat. So love that double stack. And DJ Chark is my long shot bet of the week on DraftKings. Like I said, 5,800. I think he goes off for 25 plus in this week one matchup against Houston, who just traded their best cornerback to New Orleans in, in Bradley Roby. So I, I think Trevor Lawrence comes out and throws 304 touchdowns this week.
0: Jeez, that would be uh pretty great. I think I'm kind of right on on board with you, I think lavisca is one of my favorite plays as well. Um, yeah, that, that this is like the nut spot, you know? literal the nut spot, so garbage, and
1: they're going to be under owned. Yes, and I just want to mention, you know, unknown situation, rookie quarterback coming in, how's he going to do? People aren't going to play him. Situation to capitalize mm-hmm. on that that you talked about.
0: Yeah, I, I like that a lot. For me, one of my favorite stacks is going to come from the Carolina Panthers. Look for the affordable price of ten point seven k. You can load up a DraftKings roster with a pair of players that are not only reuniting on a new team, but they're aligned in their desire for revenge, right? After thoroughly being disrespected by the New York Jets, Sam Darnold is only 5K, reunites with his former number one target in New York, Robbie Anderson, and is in the best situation He's ever been in innovative offensive mind, elite weapons. He's poised for post Adam Gase glory, as we've seen at this point in countless examples, including Robbie Anderson. All it takes is to get away from Gase to instantly boost your stock in the NFL. The Panthers are home, they're fully healthy. McCaffrey's back double revenge game. I think ownership will be right for this. Robbie himself is in a weird pricing zone at 5,700, where I think a lot of people are going to either be paying up or punting it off at wide receiver. And you're going to be able to just eat in this middle range of a bunch of value in ownership. And even the bringbacks, I think are cheap and under the radar. You know, there might be some ownership to Corey Davis. I don't think there's enough at 4,900. Even Elijah Moore, who's the min price, uh, at 3k, Jamison Crowder's unknown and, and Elijah Moore could be a damn near every down player if Crowder misses. I, I just think that this lines up perfectly for for Sam Darnold and, you know, if you can get a big game out of one of these low-priced quarterbacks like Sam Darnold, it just frees you up to, you know, load up the top of your roster with two or three of the high-priced, high-ceiling plays like Kamara Cook, CMC, or Adams, Tyreek, etc.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I like the call. I I think Sam Darnold will have some ownership. You're not gonna get him at at like five percent, but it's not gonna be anything crazy. But I think his receiving options will go under own because everybody's gonna gravitate towards CMC and I wouldn't I personally wouldn't play CMC in a Sam Darnold lineup. You can you know, it, it's fine. I just personally want it. But yeah, I mean, I like the stack there. Like you said, there's a lot of uh, solid bringbacks and, and Corey Davis, Elijah Moore. I mean, Keelan Cole, if you want to get real gal brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it. Tyler Croft is 2,500. If you want to go that route? You know, you could you could stack yep. this game up for cheap and then just get stars in the rest of your lineup.
0: Yeah, I I, I like uh, I like that a lot. Um, And as you mentioned in your video, which is on the YouTube channel now, focusing on the week one GPP strategy, the field is double stacking a lot less than they should in these large field tournaments. And, you know, you could easily just double it up with DJ mm-hmm. Moore and Robbie Anderson, bring it back with a Jets player and get some plus EV in that situation or even Dan Arnold at tight end stone punt 2600. <laughs> He catches a touchdown. You're absolutely sailing to the bottom.
1: Yep, yep. I, I, I like the call in. Honestly, there there's so many good stacks this week. Like, we could talk for an hour just about the, the stacks that we like i'm i'm getting I i'm getting know. exposure to every fucking team no bullshit <laughs> the only team the only game that i that i won't stack is uh chargers washington i think that's just going to be a slugfest in in denver and new york giants same, same situation so mm. those are my two games to avoid
0: yeah i i could definitely see that you know just just real quick do you have any interest in stacking Uh, The Atlanta side of the ball. And, and, you know, we've talked about the, the Philly game. Like, are you stacking Jalen Hurts? Are you playing him naked? What are your thoughts on that game?
1: Yeah, so I personally probably won't play Matt Ryan. You know he's six k, just no rushing upside. You really need him to to throw three hundred and three for him to hit his ceiling. So I won't play him, especially with Hertz four hundred more. I'd rather play him. I, I love the Eagle side of the ball because, like I just mentioned, Hertz is cheap. Devonte Smith is four thousand five hundred. Quez Watkins is like three k minimum. He's a solid GPP dart throw. Jalen Rager is you know, somewhere around Devontae Smith as well in, in the 4K. So I like stacking that side of the ball. And I mean, Miles Sanders is, is a clear cut top tier GPP running back play at 6,500 mm. going up against the Falcons defense that has one of the worst D lines and, and one of the worst defenses in the NFL. They did nothing to address their defense in the off season. And, you know, he's going to go under own because of, you know, a potential running back committee in Philadelphia. So, If you're getting a a guy that has 80-yard, 90-yard touchdowns in his range of outcomes and receiving ability, I mean, stone GPP lock, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think think Miles Sanders is a phenomenal play. And even last year, we saw in one of Jalen Hurts' starts where Hurts still rushed the ball for 100 yards against New Orleans in Week 14. Miles Sanders put up over 30 points on DraftKings so they they can uh, both be productive in the same game contrary to what I think some people might think I do have a little bit of interest in Matt Ryan just because it's hard for me to think that he fails when Kyle Pitts is arguably my favorite tight end play and Calvin Ridley is probably my favorite pay up option I could definitely see Matt Ryan hitting the 303 in this spot but um yeah I, I was just interested in you know your stacking options for that game do you have any other long shots that you want to throw out there or any just GPP play in general, that you like,
1: yeah, I think for GPPs, I think the Niners wide receivers mm-hmm. will go on their own. So Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. Ayuk is fifty seven hundred. Debo Samuel is fifty nine hundred. So mid range wide receivers, and I think the mid range is going to be the spot in the salary where you can get different in, in terms of ownership because all these guys are going to be on their own. DJ Chark at fifty eight is my favorite, but Ayuk. He could easily go off for 30 points against the Lions. Terrible secondary. Debo Samuel could easily go off now, and and he's healthy. And Ayuka is hurt right now, so... If he misses, I mean, Debo Samuel and, and George Kittle are phenomenal plays, and I think the ownership won't reflect that. So I like the Niners wide receivers, and I and I like the Jacks wide receivers for tournaments specifically.
0: Yeah, a, a couple other wide receivers in that range, or at least one specifically that I want to bring up is Odell Beckham Jr., who's fifty four hundred makes a ton of sense as the bring back in a game that is the highest total on the slate in the Kansas City game. I, I don't know why he is six hundred dollars cheaper than Jarvis Landry. That stands out to me. I know the Chiefs have historically been really good at limiting wide receiver production, but Odell has reportedly come back. He's looking amazing, fully healthy, and I think for 5,400, a player of his caliber and a player with his ceiling is very interesting for GPPs. And sort of on that same note, a player who's just in a really strange pricing zone at 7,200 is Nick Chubb. I know a lot of the times you're not going to want to play these running backs with low pass game expectations on their own teams, but you know, this game, it has the highest projected over-under on the slate. 54. And a half, and you know Nick Chubb. If you're asking what Browns player has the highest ceiling in a given week, I think it is Nick Chubb, and he's going to go completely under owned. You can throw him in as a bring back in a Chief stack, and at 7,200, I, I just think he's going to be completely looked over in, in terms of ownership. So Chubb's a guy I like you know there's just so many good running backs to pivot to James Robinson is 6400 in the nut spot against Houston I don't know man there's just so so many good plays
1: yeah i mean how are you going to play all these players that's a question
0: take out alone <laughs>
1: hit up Chase Bank right now, get out a little business, get get out a little business loan for like 50K, and then Mm -hmm. just play like 400 different lineups.
0: I I mean, I think that's the move, you know, it's been done on DraftKings before, you know, get your girl on there, throw 150 under her name, I'll throw 150 under my girl's name. Yeah, I mean, Uh, for sure. Max 600 lineups. There's just
1: so many good plays this week so you you could really go in any direction that you want and put out a very solid team in my opinion so just as long as you know you aren't making egregious lineup construction mistakes like playing you know baker mayfield to odell beckham and jarvis landry and nick chubb like that that's just an obvious bad lineup right as long as you're avoiding those mistakes i I think it's going to be pretty hard for people to feel the bad lineup this week
0: Yeah, um, I'm sure people will find a way, though, but... um. (laughs) There's a lot of bad advice out
1: there. I will say that.
0: There is there is and you know real quick before we close out the show with our favorite bets of the week i I do want to remind the people that we are doing a live stream on saturday nights uh where we sort of revisit the slate you know we are recording this on wednesday you're hearing it on thursday so we're going to get a lot more information in terms of practice reports and just a general feel for how the slate is going to play off we'll be back uh, on saturday night to just sort of revisit that you can find it on our youtube it'll be live streamed to twitch and twitter as well Mm -hmm. uh you know ask us questions. It'll be a Q&A type vibe. Just sort of uh, feel free to hop in that at any point if you are curious on how our thoughts change on the slate as the week progresses. Joey, let's close things out here with our best bets. We struggled last year, but we're here to bounce back. What do you got for week one?
1: Yeah, so for week one, I have three bets for this week that I like a lot. Eagles plus three and a half. I think they come out and win out right personally, but I'll take the three and a half points against the falcons. The eagle's over forty eight we touched on it earlier. Uh, we think Vegas is kind of underestimating that game and how well those offenses are going to play against two subpar defenses. So I like the over in that game. And then this is a high over and it's the Titans and Cardinals over 52. I just think that's going to be a stone shootout with two secondaries that are legit terrible. Like if you're, if you're listening to this, just go to Google and, and look up the depth charts for each secondary and then and then get back to this podcast and, and, and you'll see. <laughs> see why i'm taking this bet titans over 52 eagles plus three and a half and the eagles over 48 and you can find all these bets in our discord channel too which is linked down below in the show notes if you're listening to this clip on youtube it's in the description we post these bets early just because the nfl closing lines are so efficient right Mm -hmm. that we need to take we need to be taking bets early in the weekend and i know this is wednesday so it is kind of still early but i want to be taking these bets tuesday as soon as the lines come out just because yes. betting 10 minutes before 1 p.m. on Sunday is literally just negative EV like you're going to lose in the long run betting NFL closing lines. And and we definitely have to get more into the player props as, as well, because just just one thing that I want to say is is sports betting is going to be huge within the next couple of years. And, and I think that's definitely something that us as well as other people are are going to start getting into. And, you know, frankly, should because the market is so big. It's so huge. It's kind of unfortunate, though, that that we're not going to have an operational sports book in New York until February.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's really the thing that I think prohibits us, because, you know, we, we always talk about authenticity and it's just so hard for us to get the action in, you know, with the way that New York is currently. But as that changes, we are legally allowed to make these bets. I'm sure we'll talk about it more on the podcast, especially next year, assuming that things go smoothly in New York. I have two bets this week that i that I feel pretty confident in one of them you already named, and that's over in the Philly atlanta game i mean as I think that that should be well over fifty at forty eight I think you're getting some decent value. And the second bet that I like is Vikings minus three and a half. I think the Bengals struggle early in the season. We've talked about it at various points in the offseason. Their offensive line is going to struggle. Joe Burrow's coming back. It's going to be his first game after the injury. Who knows how slowly Jamar Chase is going to start. They have a lot of weapons, but this Vikings defense has gotten better. They should be able to control the ball. I think Dalvin Cook just runs all over them. And frankly, I think the Bengals get decimated in this (laughs) spot. So Vikings minus three and a half lock and load. Put your whole bankroll on
1: it. <laughs> hey, I, I like it. Um, I, I was considering that bet as well. I think it. I think it is a good line, just because we are lower than consensus on the Bengals, especially for this year. I, I know they've gotten touted to the moon, and I am not part of that. I think they're still a bad franchise, a bad team, and they're they're going to lose ten plus games. So th- this should be one of them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is going to be it for episode 160 of the DFS Dose podcast. Feels good to be back talking NFL DFS. Make sure that you guys follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I am at Ben Hover. Joey is at Joey Carey and DFS. For more week one NFL DFS content, check out our YouTube channel at the DFS Dose. We post multiple videos per week. And like I said, we'll be live this Saturday evening to revisit the slate and give our updated thoughts as the week develops. If you're listening out there, just know that we appreciate you. We value you until next time. Let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Bye.